Hey, I'm Mike Russell from Music Radio Creative and welcome to the Adobe Audition podcast. Honoring 25 years of Adobe Audition, in this series of 25 episodes, I will interview power users of this awesome audio editing software. We'll reminisce back to the Cool Edit Pro days, through to the introduction of multi-track editing, and bring you right up to date with Adobe Audition CC and features like the Essential Sound Panel. This show is brought to you by the awesome Audio Gear Giveaway. If you'd like the chance to win my perfect Audio Creator Studio setup, head over to mrc.fm slash win and enter now. There will be mini prize draws every month with the final gear giveaway taking place at the end of September. That's mrc.fm slash win for a chance to win. Good luck. Adobe Audition's 25th birthday. My guest on this show is Rob B. He is the director of BEE Limited and Be Productive. Now, he works in the voiceover industry. He's both a producer and an audio consultant. And what Rob does is he gets in and he helps voiceovers to set up their own home studios. Everything from training them in production techniques uh, to the various different software platforms, sounding acoustically great, which, of course, you need to as a voiceover artist. Uh, now, I'm going to ask him a little bit about this uh, during the show. He has, of course, been interested in sound from an early age. He graduated from Manchester's School of Sound Recording in 2000. He's worked for 12 years at one of the country's top independent voiceover production studios, where he rose to senior producer there and oversaw a total rebuild of the studios, everything that goes into making a studio, uh, which is amazing. And since leaving the company, he's become the go-to person uh, person in the voiceover world with uh, audio issues. So if you've got an audio issue as a voiceover artist, Rob B is your man. He remains passionate about sound, uh, just as he's been when he was mix- messing with mixtapes as a teenager. Uh, but now he's got the experience, knowledge and wisdom to go with it. Rob, welcome to the show. Hello, how are you doing? I'm very well indeed. Wow, uh, what a history of audio there, playing with uh, mixtapes. And uh, I can't wait to ask you that question about how you first got into audio. But let's start off um, with the software that we're celebrating, 25 years of Adobe Audition. How do you use Adobe Audition, Rob? I use Adobe Audition uh, on almost on a daily basis. Um, it's, it's not actually my main um production software uh, but uh, I use it more than I do use my main production software um, a lot of what I'm doing is, is is as you said kind of in a consultative role helping voiceovers with their studio issues and also just helping them tweak their studio setups to make sure that they are sounding good and dry and, and suitable for, for voiceover work uh, so what I t- tend to use Audition for is is opening the sound files that I get sent uh, and analysing them and having a look and a, a good listen and using the, the sort of the analytics tools that are part and parcel with uh, with Audition. You know, no third-party plugins needed, really. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, just having a look at uh, looking at the audio that, that I get sent and um, advising voiceovers on, on how they can tweak and improve uh, their setups. That's really cool. So what are the, uh, the main things that you'd be looking for uh, in a voiceovers recording uh, to make sure that they're sounding good and they, they haven't got any problems with their acoustics? Uh, in terms of studio setup, um, it's all about essentially the balance between the levels that they're recording at and the noise floor. Uh, so um, a noise floor is basically um, how much noise uh, is being picked up and how much is being recorded onto the system when the voiceover isn't in the room. So, you know, they'd uh, set their system to record and then just leave the room for a minute and then come back and switch everything off and stuff. And so that noise floor recording is is quite important, but only sort of... Uh, 
in balance with how loud their uh, their recordings are, because obviously sound is is a lot to do with ratios. So we need a nice, nice, quiet sound floor, you know, as as silent as possible, really, and then a good, strong uh, level for for recording. Um, and then also, once we've got that noise floor established, we're also looking to see um, that you know the, the the room is as dry as possible, that there's no kind of sound reflections. We can't hear any reverb from the room or anything. That's great. And how would you test that? Would you do a little clap in the studio and just check? Yeah, you can do that. Um, and yeah, so clapping is a good way of doing it because it is a short, sharp sound. But uh, it's also uh, very often just about listening to the voiceover because claps claps are great, but claps are a lot louder than a voice is going to be. So first of all, uh, if you're clapping, there's a good risk, a good chance that you are actually going to clip your levels, which kind of doesn't matter when it's only for a test like this because it's not what we're kind of listening for. Uh, but also, you know, if, if if you've got reflections on the claps, it doesn't mean that the room is too reverberant because it's going to be a lot louder than, than a reed will be. That's brilliant. That's really good advice. I like that. And I like the, the fact that you look at the, the noise floor and the levels and the ratios. Some really good advice to take to heart there when setting up your voiceover studio. Now, I'm curious, Rob, in, in your years and uh, since graduating from uh, Manchester School of Sound Recording in 2000, you must have come across uh, loads of professionals in the audio space. And I'm really, really curious to hear uh, maybe some of the best advice you've received over the years about audio producing and, and making audio sound good. I think some of the best advice I received was actually when I was at college. Uh, and it, it's just very simply one piece of advice, and that is just to watch other people work. Um, when we are audio producers, we are usually working by ourselves. Uh, and, you know, I've travelled, I freelance in a few studios as well. And as I'm travelling around, you know, I'm the only engineer working at that studio. So I don't have anybody that I can kind of learn from on a day-to-day basis anyone that I can kind of bounce ideas off and that kind of thing so you know even now having been in the industry I mean it's 18 years since I graduated um, being able to watch someone else work you're always going to learn something you know whether it's a new shortcut or just a new approach or even just a slightly different way of handling an awkward client to the one that you would have used uh, you know that can all sort of add to your armory as a as an audio producer and an audio professional so Whenever you get the opportunity, just watch someone else work because um, you will learn. You, you will learn from it. How do you how do you place that if you if you watch certain people working and they all work in different ways? How do you find out the the kind of true way, or is there is there no true way? Is you know are there different ways of achieving the same thing essentially? Um, I think the basics of sound are you know the laws of physics, and those are unbendable. Um, I say with. Uh, a slight caveat on that because obviously we're all in the industry of manipulating audio um but once you've got kind of past those basics there are so many different ways of of achieving the same end you know i mean it's a classic thing that you know i can hear anything that anybody else has produced and i can think well i wouldn't have done it like that you know um and, and it's it's kind of to do with that final mix and kind of to do with you know the way that everything's kind of been treated and and you know that kind of thing so yeah there are no right and wrong ways uh, to a large degree when we're talking about audio and audio production well once you've got past you know the the physics of sound then um you know go mad Makes sense. So let's talk about some of the projects uh, that you've worked on and maybe uh, something you're looking forward to in the future. Starting off with um, 
something that's really challenged you, uh, something that's really taxed you to your limits. It could be uh, working long hours to get something completed or just something that was so complicated with so many moving parts um, that it really challenged you. What is one of the most challenging audio projects that you would say you've ever worked on, Rob? I think one of the most challenging projects I've worked on um, wasn't largely an audio project, actually. It was an animation project. Um, and it was three years ago, myself and my wife, who's a graphic designer and uh, co-owner of uh, BWE Limited, um, we got um, commissioned to put together an animation for the European Week of um, Action for Girls. Uh, and they'd seen an animation that we'd previously done a little... Um, a web explainer video that we'd done and, and liked it so they commissioned us to to do this animation which was going to be shown in the European Parliament in front of all the uh, the MEPs and stuff in the uh, week of action for girls uh, so that involved me basically having to teach myself how to use After Effects um, uh, so I mean I'd, I'd I kind of the project was done sort of obviously the audio bits were done in audition but there wasn't a lot of I mean it was just a basic um, edit of a piece of music really um, and then uh, the my wife was drawing the pictures in Illustrator and then we were bringing those into Premiere Pro and then from Premiere Pro we were then uh, animating them in After Effects and so it was, it was um, you know, quite a learning curve for both of us really. Um, what made it even more difficult was that after we'd finished storyboarding and had everything approved and we were looking to actually work on the animation, uh, I broke my ankle. So um, I couldn't get into my studio because my studio's uh, up some very steep stairs so I had to work in my wife's studio and then I couldn't sit comfortably at a desk for very long so I was just kind of working for 15 minutes and then hobbling along um, sitting on the bed for for half an hour with my leg up until it stopped aching and then having to go back and you know do a bit more work and then it was uh, it was quite a long process doing the animation partly because I was having to learn the software as I did it and partly because I just couldn't work in um, huge chunks of time because because uh, my, my ankle was hurting all the time Absolutely, that's crazy, let alone having to learn a brand new software package you had the, uh, like you say, uh, the ankle that was hurting, so uh, yeah a, a very tough challenge and um, I, I always find it's 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 once you once you know a piece of audio software, you can kind of hop to other bits of editing software. And as long as you start learning the hotkeys and the shortcuts, it's okay. But like you say, going something like well, Premiere is is a step up. And once you know Audition, it's fairly simple to get the basics of that. But After Effects is that's a whole new world. How did you? Uh, so you were going into that from scratch with no prior knowledge. How did you? develop your knowledge what was the best way for you to learn there Rob the best way for me I mean we had done this other short film before which again I did in the same way between um, Audition um, After Effects and, and Premiere Pro uh, but that was a much simpler animation um, basically the, the approach I took was um, my wife was drawing the pictures and doing the storyboards and, and the client was kind of approving certain things about you know all the rest of it and so there was a, a rough plan there of what had to happen um, and then a lot of it was kind of transitions of, you know, um, text coming on and going off the screen and, and things like that. And so there were various things which um, the client was expecting to happen and, and all the rest of it. So I kind of took a similar approach in in the bits that I was kind of free to do what I wanted with. In terms of I was saying, well, this is what I want to happen. How do I do that? And then doing lots of Googling and, and all the rest of it and figuring out uh, how to make... Um, you know the, the the animations and the transitions and stuff like that work as 
they were in the heads of the client and 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 our minds as well. But yeah, you're quite right in terms of kind of what I call like a cross pollination between different pit, bits of software. If you get used to using like a timeline on a multi-track audio recorder or whatever, then um, video editing stuff works in a very similar timeline kind of fashion as does um, sort of the timelines and things in in After Effects. So it was easier for me to kind of get my head around that than it was for my wife because she's sort of a Photoshop illustrator kind of person rather than working on timelines like that. Sure, makes sense. And I guess now you have the knowledge and you've worked on a project like that, you you have all those new skills and uh, new bits of software that you can use. So uh, definitely a, a challenging, but sounds like a very uh, productive project. So looking forward into the future then, Rob, what's uh, one cool thing you'd like to work on? Uh, maybe something that you haven't told anyone about yet. Well, what I'd, what I'd love to do, I mean, there's there's very, very little chance of me getting to do this because, uh, you know, I'm far too too old to kind of get into this kind of game. But one thing I really like doing is I go out bird watching in my spare time quite a lot. Uh, and one thing which I really like doing over the last year or so is I've got one of the little Zoom handheld recorders is, you know, when I'm out and about on a nature reserve, he's just kind of recording a lot of the sounds of nature. You get some fantastic sounds. Um, beginning of last year, I got a brilliant sound of like a, there's a little flock of ducks that were running along a gravel path. And it's just like the the kind of splashy noise of the feet. I mean, the path was dry, but, you know, the webbed feet on the gravel path was just making an amazing noise. And then just lots of little intricate small sounds that you'd never really think were really happening. You know, the, the noises of sort of bees traveling from flower to flower. That kind of thing, which, you know, is it's just good fun getting out and recording that kind of thing. So what I'd like to do, really, uh, as I say, there's very little chance, is actually kind of get on board with like a proper parabolic reflector and uh, and do some sort of location recording, um, you know, on a, a TV show. Something like Springwatch would be fantastic, you know, just to go out with uh, someone from like the BBC Natural History Department and, and get involved in doing that. I mean... As I say, it's not going to happen. I don't have the experience. Uh, BBC Natural History Unit's in Bristol and I'm in Manchester, you know. So there's there's lots of reasons why it's not going to happen. So I think that part of sound recording will purely stay uh, kind of as a hobby, uh, really, which is good in a way because you, you can't get into sound unless you're passionate about sound. Um, but when you do something for a living, it completely changes your relationship with it. So to be able to keep some aspect of sound as a hobby, um, sort of helps keep, you know, your passion alive. I really like that. That's um, that's a good way to describe it. And you never know now that you've uh, now that you've put it out there that you'd like to do it. You never know what might happen. Um, but it's interesting. I really like that idea of, yeah, you don't have to be good at everything or know everything. Like, for instance, I'm not particularly musically trained, but I love playing about with Logic Pro and um, just trying to build tracks and, and uh, find out what's possible there. Uh, and, th- and that's definitely a hobby. So have you considered, like... Um, testing uh, uh, the grounds of your hobby, for instance, maybe going out with a recorder, um, getting some great footage and, and then uploading it somewhere, I don't know, like Freesound or something to see if anyone downloads it and use your stuff. Well, I, I did actually do that last year. Um, I did have a project last year, which, you know, you've seen people do like a photo a day or, or something like that on Facebook and they'll post everything on social media. Uh, I wanted to do something like that, uh, but I'd never take photos. So I recorded a sound a day. 
Um, and uh, yeah, so from January, I didn't quite make it through the year. I got basically until the end of October. Uh, and then I just kind of ran out of steam. Because when you work from home, uh, there's only times you can record the toilet flushing before people get bored of it. So yeah, I did that. And I'd, uh, part of that was uh, uploading the sounds onto Freesound, which I haven't quite, <laughs> I mean, it's May in the year, following year now. I haven't quite uploaded everything to Freesound yet. But um, I think I've got until probably the end of August uploaded onto Freesound. Uh, and I've had loads of downloads and those are really nice comments, um, which is which is great. And surprisingly... The uh, well, surprisingly to me, anyway, um, the sound which I think has probably got well, certainly one of the the most downloaded sounds that I put up. I recorded a full seventeen minutes of my washing machine spin cycle, because when I've been doing sort of radio production and stuff, you know, you'll get a snippet of a spin dryer, but it won't necessarily be the bit that you want. So I recorded the whole thing, seventeen minutes, and that's uh, one of the biggest. Uh, or the most downloaded sounds which uh, which I put up there last year. There you go. And it never, I guess, fails to surprise you uh, what is popular. And by doing something like that, you, you get to find out over time uh, what people want. Who would have thought the washing machine drying uh, would be the uh, the thing, the hot thing? <laughs> well, I certainly didn't. I mean, a part of again, part of uh, part of the exercise for me was knowing what kind of sound effects I needed when I was sort of daily producing radio and TV ads and stuff like that. Uh, not so much TV, obviously, because a lot of the stuff's recorded on location, but. Um, uh, Knowing the kind of sounds which I needed when I was sort of more actively in in production, um, I was sort of, as well as filling in all sorts of other criteria which I'd set myself, I was also looking to um, record sounds which would be used. Um, So I knew that, you know, the spin dryer was um, a bit useful, but the the full 17 minutes I wasn't expecting... uh, wasn't expecting it to be as popular as it evidently is. That's really cool. Uh, so, yeah, excellent. Challenging projects, uh, future projects, uh, even hobbies we've covered in this section of the podcast. Uh, and we alluded to it earlier on, well, certainly I did in the uh, in the introduction, uh, that you were brilliant with mixtapes playing about when you were a teenager. So obviously audio has been a passion of yours for a long time, Rob. Uh, what is that one memory, if you go right back to your childhood, uh, that makes you smile related to audio, maybe even started your whole path in this direction back to the interview in a moment but if you want to win my perfect audio creator setup head over to mrc.fm slash win i think it was 1979 or 1980 um blue peter changed their theme music and it was it had been like a traditional arrangement with a whistle and a drum probably but mike oldfield of tubular bells fame uh did an arrangement of um the Blue Peter theme tune. And I remember being absolutely fascinated by, uh, it was Simon Groom, I think, who went to Mike Oldfield's studio and, and they did a like a feature for the programme about um, the recording of, of this new theme tune. I remember being absolutely fascinated by that. Um, I don't know why, you know, I mean... Um, I mean, I'm not saying I hadn't been interested in music and stuff before that, but my parents' record collection was of absolutely no interest to me, you know, so I was kind of limited in my musical experience to Top of the Pops. Um, But yeah, I just remember being absolutely 
fascinated by sort of the processes and all the rest of it. What whatever it was they showed, I can't really remember now what what exactly it was, but I remember it just it just kind of hooked me in. And my uh, we I grew up in Harrogate, and my grandma lived in Scarborough, so we used to drive quite regularly along the A59. And just at the other side of Nairsborough, uh, there used to be like a big old factory building, which um, even in those days was pretty derelict. It's been pulled down now and replaced with something else. And, and I remember driving along the A59 with my mum and dad on the way to my grandma's and just saying, I don't know why, and it, it makes me smile because it's just utterly ignorant on all levels of uh, of audio. I just looked at this building and I said to my mum and dad, that building would make a great recording studio. Uh, you know, seven-year-old, however old I was, you know, no knowledge of, of, of audio, of recording, of anything, but I just got my mind made up that that building, and, you know, I kind of resolved that I was going to buy that building at some point and turn it into a recording studio, which uh, obviously I never did. But, um, you know, it, it's just a, a weird little thing to me that even at that young age, I'd got that kind of level of interest and, and sort of here I am today doing it for a living. Really cool story. So um, obviously you say you're using Adobe Audition quite a bit and you know a lot of the features and you use it to analyse uh, in particular the samples that voiceover artists send you on a regular basis. You are analysing uh, the audio from uh, voiceover recordings uh, to help those voice artists sound as good as they possibly can. And so I'm curious if you had to pick one feature inside Adobe Audition that you would say, this is my favourite feature. It helps me to do what I need to do really quickly and easily. What would that feature be? Um, I think uh, it would be a feature which, when it was originally introduced into Audition, I, I just laughed at and thought was was useless. Uh, and that's the, the the little show preview editor button. So if you're if you're on Creative Cloud, um, at the top right hand side, next to your little magnifier button and the toggle snapping on and off button there's like uh, another little square with horizontal lines across it and if you press that button it kind of gives you a before and after of the effects that you are putting onto the audio and you know when that button was was introduced i just thought that's useless because sound engineers we edit with our ears not our eyes and so you know it doesn't matter how tidy the waveform is because whoever it is who's listening to the audio over the phone or in the car or wherever it is isn't going to be looking at the waveform and thinking that's beautiful nice and tidy nice and tight they're going to be listening to it and it can be as tight as you like and still sound horrible so i just thought it was a useless feature but actually um when I, I use it quite a lot because when I'm training people how to how to produce audio or or even training people how to use Audition, um, if I'm demonstrating something like compression or, or EQ things like that, um, when I'm doing it remotely, so over Skype or um, Google Hangouts or, or whatever it is I'm using at the time. The audio that is actually getting sent to um, my student is is compressed, and and so it, it misses out a lot of the subtleties uh, of what I'm doing to it. So that little show preview editor button, you can visually show um, to to the to the student or students um, exactly really what's what's being done to the audio, and you can kind of take people through compression in a in like a step by step. Um, process showing them what each button does and, and all the rest of it and so it's easier to see the difference in in that instance uh, than it would be to hear 
if I'm just if I'm compressing properly rather than going mad for demonstration purposes, um, it, it's easy to kind of see what that's doing rather than hear the subtle differences that that you know a compressor or an EQ or whatever will will sometimes make. Makes sense, and like you say, yeah, particularly over Skype, if you're doing a call or something like that, uh, yeah, the audio quality is it's degraded and compressed, so yeah, you can miss out on stuff that you can actually see, which I agree is a fantastic feature, uh, particularly when you are setting a compressor, you can you can see exactly how you're setting it and how much it's uh, it's affecting the waveform, uh, and then over in spectral display as well, you can see if you're setting up a noise gate or something, you can see how much noise is being removed in between the speech so definitely agree preview uh, something that's been introduced in adobe audition cc uh, is a brilliant feature so um zipping around the uh, the audio software and like doing things you must have some pretty amazing workflows and maybe some time-saving shortcuts that you use in adobe audition have you got any that you can um, you can share on this podcast I don't have that many, to be honest. Uh, partly because, as I said, I, I, I don't always go straight to uh, audition for for you know my my own editing and production jobs, and also because I'm kind of teaching and training uh, people how to use the software, I like to keep it pretty much as it is out the box, um, just so I can kind of show people. Because when you get into a workflow yourself. You know, you know all your shortcuts and you don't even think about where they are in the menu and stuff like that. So you just go, this is what you do, blah, 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 it's done. You haven't taught anybody anything because you've used all your shortcuts and, and you've customised them to do uh, whatever it is. So I kind of like to keep things pretty much out the box as possible. I mean, I have uh, put a couple of um, shortcuts on on uh, on there for stuff which, uh, which isn't normally there, stuff which is kind of specific to some of the things which I do. But I'm also um, quite, um, I guess, old school, if you like, in in that I don't like using a lot of presets and things like that because, as I say to voiceovers, if you are only ever working on your own voice, then chances are you can find yourself a compressor set up and use that every time and then you'd write that as a favourite and job's usually pretty good. Um, but for me, when I'm sort of editing and producing and things, all sorts of different voiceovers and different voices, there isn't one compressor setting which will work for everyone. So I'll have, um, well, I usually just kind of pull up and it'll pull up as whatever I've used last. And then I'll tweak it from there and and, and get it right, custom make it for, for each job uh, that I do. Um, I mean, I do have a few sort of quicker workflows in terms of, you know, file splitting and things like that. If you're doing IVR or e-learning editing, uh, then using region markers and then exporting those, you know, processing everything all in one file and then using your region markers and exporting um, all the regions within the region markers as separate files and, and things like that, which are, it's a great little uh, workflow uh, is that. Um, things like that, which, yeah, that's fine. But in terms of adjustments I've made to the setup of the program, uh, I do keep those to a minimum because I'm kind of teaching it to other people. That's cool. I really like that. And I like the fact that um, you are custom making or working out um, effects, compression, EQ, whatever it might be that works for the particular voice artist that's recording. And like you say, once you've got them figured out, you can you can save them into a favourite uh, and recall them pretty easily. So yeah, some really uh, good tips there. So now I'm really keen to explore with you, Rob, as we get towards the end of the show, uh, some of the resources and some of the audio gear you're using. So you're like real audiophile. You must have 
have some really, really good equipment there, particularly uh, microphones, audio interfaces, maybe mixing desks, monitors. Go on, share with us all your all your makes and models that you're using in your studio. Okay. Um, well, at the moment, uh, I'm speaking down a, a Rode NT1A microphone. Uh, and the reason I picked this microphone for this podcast is because it is a very quiet microphone. Um, it's got you know exceptionally low self noise, and again, I knew that this uh, is being recorded over over the internet, so it will be uh, compressed, and the sound will be downgraded. So um, that that really low noise floor is is probably more important than a nice sounding microphone for for this kind of uh, situation. Um, I do have another few microphones. I've got a few which are all sort of sub 400 pounds you know I've, i don't voice very much i don't actually record much at home so i don't have justification for spending money on a neumann or anything like that uh, although i'd love to um so i've got you know a sennheiser mk4 a sontronics stc3 um uh, aston origin mic i've got another couple of as, as well um my interface i use two interfaces i've got um an allen and heath z10 desk which has got a built-in interface which is what this audio is currently going through but i've also got um uh focus right scarlet 6x6 plugged in as well uh so when i'm doing uh webinars and teaching sessions and stuff like that i can route the audio from one to the other uh without kind of getting any feedback and looping my audio around and and, and all that kind of thing so i just kind of need the two interfaces uh, for that I've got a pair of uh, RCF monitors, which I love. Um, I don't know how well known RCF are for making studio monitors. They're usually kind of associated with making PA equipment and PA speakers. Uh, and having done some live engineering in my time, I think they make excellent uh, speaker enclosures as well. Uh, but yeah, when I went down to buy my studio monitors, uh, the shop where I bought them from had the RCFs and, you know, I kind of listen to them against a load of other uh, brands of stuff that they were doing. And I just loved the kind of the openness and the warmth really of, of the RCFs. And um, they're just, uh, you know, lovely, lovely pair of monitors. And all that's kind of getting fired through um, uh, through an iMac. That's an amazing kit list. So I'm interested to ask you uh, now, Rob, uh, regarding kit and due to the fact that you work with a lot of different voiceover artists. Uh, kind of two questions I've got in my mind here. First of all, is there a one popular mic that you uh, seem to come across time and time again like if you could say like one mic to almost to rule them all that you find many voice artists are using and then also your opinion on that whole thing and what you reckon is potentially a really good microphone if you had to recommend one for voice artists so what you tend to find most voice artists are using and what maybe you would recommend yourself i don't think there is one mic um you know, uh, I, I think um, the way that microphones work is essentially every microphone has its own kind of frequency response and every voice has its own frequency. And so the way that a microphone will respond to a voice uh, is, is going to be sort of different from person to person. Uh, and so on that level, I don't think there is one mic that you can recommend which will suit everybody. In fact, there definitely isn't. Um, and then even talking about brands, there isn't even one brand because everybody's got a, a different kind of price bracket. Um, a lot of the people that I work with are kind of starting out and so they're putting together things. You know, they're not necessarily all kind of uh, 
scrimping on stuff, but they need to sort of set up their studios as, as cost effectively as possible. So they are going to be sort of at the, the lower end of the mic market, same as the mics that I've got, which is why I've got the mics I've got so that, you know, when I'm on my travels and visiting home studios and stuff like that, I can, if necessary, take my microphone collection with me. <laughs> collection, I haven't got that many. Um, and and let people try out different mics and hear for themselves the, the the way that different mics respond to their voices and give them an idea of what they may want to buy or even just a, a bit of a, um, an education into how to test a microphone and 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 the the difference it can make to to the way that your voice sounds. Um, yeah, and then obviously you can spend as much as you like on a mic. You know, you can get well into five figures if you want to get a, a vintage uh, Neumann valve mic or something like that. How much point there is in that if you're going to be uh, compressed into uh, 8-bit, 8 kilohertz audio and shoved down a telephone receiver, I, I don't know. But, um, but you know, obviously for, for, for bigger projects, for film documentaries and all that kind of thing, then a, a good mic is essential. That's good. I like that. And I like the fact that you say there's there's no one mic to rule them all it's different for every individual um and yeah that's that's a definitely uh, brilliant uh, brilliant advice uh, is basically to test them out and uh, if you have the opportunity to, to work with someone like yourself uh you've got a mic collection and and you have the privilege to be able to like say what does my voice sound like on this one on this one on this one right i really like this one or this one sounds the best uh, and go with that do you have any opinion on say uh, xlr versus usb anything like that yeah uh i I always tell my clients to avoid USB mics. Any reason? <laughs> yeah, because they're not as good as uh, XLR mics. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the, the limitation that you have with, with USB uh, means that their microphones, I mean, some of them, some of the really good USB mics are acceptable. Uh, I'll put it that way. Um, but a lot of them uh, are, aren't really designed for pro voiceovers. They're designed for podcasting and, and stuff like that. And, and they are all really cheap mics. I mean, if you consider you know, uh, your Neumann U87, which is probably the most industry standard voiceover mic. You'll find that in a lot of pro studios. Uh, that's like um, £1,500, two grand, something like that. And and you're thinking that a USB mic that you've paid 70 quid for is going to compete with it. I mean, it's not all about the money, obviously. But um, see, the, the limitation of USB to me, um, I think it's like 10 or 15 metres distance before your USB signal starts degrading. And that's just not far enough. That's not long enough for that to be a professional spec. Fine in your home studio, but if you're thinking like Wembley Stadium, you've got a stage at one end of it and the sound desk at the other, you've got to get the signal between the two. And USB just isn't going to cut that. Uh, and it never will because of the limitations of the technology. So a USB mic is never going to be uh, sort of developed uh, the technology is never going to be able to be developed until it, it becomes a true professional spec microphone. Uh, so let's wrap up uh, by asking you, Rob, uh, somebody listening to this podcast right now who's young, maybe aspiring to get into the audio industry, uh, whatever facet that might be, that might be audio production, it might be voiceover, um, might be something like yourself, like really getting into the uh, the engineering of sound and the, uh, the theory behind it all. Um, what advice would you give to that person listening right now who wants to get into this industry? Okay, I think um, I think the first thing is is learn about sound, uh, and I, you know it sounds maybe sounds a bit boring because I mean the the exciting thing to do is to get onto a computer and and open up Audition or Logic or Pro Tools or whatever it is, and actually start playing with 
noise and effects and manipulating things and learning stuff that way. But sound is, you know, it's part of physics. It's a, it's a form of energy. Uh, you know, acoustic energy is a form of kinetic energy. Uh, and so you can't get around the fact that physics is, is kind of the building blocks of, of the whole thing that we do. So if you learn about sound, and it is really dull, you know, it, it's kind of the equivalent of learning to play scales when you're a musician, you know. But once you've got, once you understand more about how sound works, then you've got a much stronger basis for actually learning how to manipulate and develop and change it um, with the software that you're using. You know, you'll you'll understand why you're doing what you're doing and how it does it, rather than just being able to say, well, I know that last time I pressed that button, this happened. Let's see if it, you know, does it again kind of thing. So I think the first thing to do is is actually just immerse yourself in, in actually learning the physics uh, about sound and how sound works. Um, and the other thing, if I may have two, is is uh, is look after your ears. Um, they are going to be your lifeline, you know. So there's the whole thing about, you know, loud noises going to gigs and all the rest of it. I mean, I've got to say, I still don't wear earplugs at gigs. Um, but, you know, it's something which um, I should probably do. Uh, but the other thing which, you know, is, is using headphones. Um, all the time. I mean, I used to sort of uh, help run a youth group and stuff, and and it was very rare that any of those teenagers didn't have earbuds in their ears. Uh, you, you know, and and these things damage your ears. So if you are looking to get into sound as as a profession, then you really need to look after your ears and don't be listening to music on headphones at loud volume. Uh, you know, don't expose yourself to you know too much loud music for too long, or or you know. Just the, the kind of stuff that your parents are telling you. If you are going to make an, a living out of your ears, then you need to look after them. Really, really good advice. And uh, great advice throughout the whole show. It's um, It's been fun and it's been a real pleasure talking to you, Rob. And for anyone who would like to check you out online or find out more about what you do, uh, perhaps they're a voice artist, they need some advice from you, how are they going to get in touch with you? What's the best way? Well, my website is beproductive.co.uk. That's B-E-E, productive. My name is Rob B, so everything B has got two E's on it. Uh, so beproductive.co.uk, or if you want to email me, it's rob at beproductive.co.uk. Uh, my limited company is b-double-e.co.uk. Uh, if you want to find me on Twitter, it's at b underscore productive. Uh, and I do have a Facebook page as well. If you just look for, again, Be Productive, then uh, you'll find me on Facebook. Lovely, Rob. That's fantastic. And thank you for joining me. Thank you. That concludes this episode. Would you like an extra chance to win the awesome audio gear giveaway? Hit subscribe and review this podcast, then email the details to podcast at mrc.fm for an extra entry into the awesome audio gear giveaway. Good luck.